May we turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The last verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Always abounding. Always abounding. For the past few days, I have been expounding in my noonday broadcast the 22nd Psalm. I have dealt with the first part of that Psalm, which deals with the crucifixion, first 21 verses, in which Jesus describes his own death on the cross. I've come to love that passage very dearly and I delight to expound it. But in my many expositions through the years in various places where I've gone with the 22nd Psalm, I think I've only preached it in this church twice. It's one of the few messages that I've ever repeated for you people. I've always, however, more or less ended with the 21st verse and made a brief summary of the 22nd and said that, that was the resurrection from then on. And we've never gone into very much detail with the remainder of the psalm. But as I have been dealing with it, a freshness and a whole flood of new light has just come upon my own soul in relationship to the latter part of that psalm and I intend this next week during the Moon Day broadcast to go into these references in great depth. But there is at the opening of this section on the resurrection an emphasis which I'm afraid many of us have just missed. And it's with that emphasis I'd like to introduce the message just now and then follow it with what our Savior says. But after he has died, he's paid the price, he then says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. And then in the next place he says, in the midst of the congregation I'll praise thee. And then he goes a little further and he emphasizes that everybody must join in that praise. And then finally he comes to the place where he says, Ah, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. And I will pay my vows before them that fear thee. Do you know that when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the very first thing he had to do was to convince his disciples that he was alive. 
And the very first thing he had to do was to persuade them that what had happened in his case was a fulfillment of everything that the scripture said would take place. And consequently, we find that the Lord says, I will declare thy name to my brethren. I must go to these brethren of mine. I must explain to them what's happened. I must tell them exactly what's been involved. And so the first thing Jesus Christ did when he was raised from the dead, he said, go tell my brethren that I'll go before them in Galilee and there they'll see me. Go, go to my brethren. I want to explain this. I want to tell them about it. I want them to understand what this is that's happened since I'm here alive and the tomb is left behind empty. And if you'll turn to the latter chapters of the Gospel of Luke, where our Lord Jesus Christ gives us a little indication of this ministry that he had, we find on the road to Emmaus, he joined with these disciples and uh, he listened to them and then he began to tell them, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe. Why won't you believe what the prophets have spoken? You've always had them. They've always been in your midst. You've always had this material before you. Now, why are you so foolish that you will not believe what the prophets have spoken? Believe them, he says. Ought not Christ to have suffered? Do you not understand what Moses said? Do you not understand what David said? Do you not understand what Isaiah said? Do you not understand what Daniel said? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory after the suffering? After the crucifixion comes the glory. And this glory now has come in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he became an expounder of the scriptures to the brethren. I've told you that Psalm 22 is a description of his death. He, he explained that to us from the cross. But after he was raised from the dead and he was walking around with them, he explained his resurrection to them from the scriptures. And here is Jesus Christ, alive after his passion, taking the scriptures of the Old Testament and tying them into his blessed resurrection. You look a little further down in that 24th chapter, our Savior went into the presence of the brethren. He appeared in their midst. He said he would. And then he told them in verse 44, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. And the living Christ 
took the word and opened the scriptures and opened the eyes of their understanding that they might see Jesus. Beloved, everything we have in this Bible is supposed to tell us of Jesus. Everything that God has been pleased to reveal to us is that we might know that Christ came to suffer for our iniquities and then to be raised from the dead and to enter into his glory. And the first thing he did after he was raised from the dead was to declare the name of the Lord. Go tell my brethren, I'm going to declare the name of the Lord. But he had to declare it to his own brethren. You know, when I think of these disciples, and here they were, they'd been with him, they'd known him, they'd heard his teaching, they'd seen his wonders, they'd seen his miracles, but when he was crucified, they all forsook him and fled. How fickle, how frail we are. And you and I are the same way. And we need to be kept so close to this book and we need to stay so close to Jesus Christ. I had a young lady tell me on Wednesday night she's been away somewhere and she said she went into some Methodist church and she said she heard the preacher and she said you can't understand Dr. McIntyre how different it is but this preacher was telling us not to get too close to Christ. She said if you get too close to him you might become a fanatic. You should stay a distance from him and then you can be of some help to the world. Now that's the new line. The church is going into the world and you mustn't get too close to him. If you get too close to him, you might turn out to be a right winger. You might turn out to be an extremist. You might turn out to be some kind of a radical. No, beloved, you cannot get too close to Jesus Christ. It's impossible to get too close to him. Our desire is to learn more of him and to come closer to him and to delight in this matchless grace which he alone can give us in lifting us up out of our sins and in giving us the hope which is in our heart that we too shall share in his resurrection on that great day of the rapture and of his return for his saints. But Jesus Christ said that he would declare his name in the midst of the congregation. His ministry is in the church. His ministry here is to the church. And before he can give the commission to go in all the world and preach the gospel, he needs to get his church straightened out. He needs to get his church in the right position. And I don't know whether you've observed it or not. We haven't emphasized it too much. But when you take the study of the resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ did not appear to any outside of the brethren. All of the appearances that are recorded in the New Testament are only to the disciples. They're only to the brethren. And when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that on the hillside there were 500 people at one time, he made it careful to explain that there were 500 brethren there. 
The Lord did not appear to the ungodly after his resurrection. The world didn't see him. Only those who were his had the privilege and the delight of seeing. And once they saw him, from that time on, they went out to turn the world upside down. And they died martyrs. Nearly every last one of them went down to some shameful, violent death at the hand of the world and the unbelievers. But there will be a day when he shall be revealed to the nation. There will be a day when he shall come. And when he comes in the clouds of heaven, as he is certain to come in the very near future, then all the nations of the earth shall see him, and they shall wail because of him. And they that pierced him, they that were responsible for nailing him to that cross, they too shall wail because of him. And the whole creation will see the hands that were pierced and they'll see the feet that were nailed to that cross and these are the feet which will tread the fierceness of the wrath and they will tread the winepress as it comes in judgment upon the nations and upon the ungodly and upon this world. But beloved Jesus Christ appeared unto his brethren unto his church. And may I say on this Easter morn, it's the church I'm concerned about. It's the church that I want to hear his voice. It's the church that was, must respond to his bidding. It's the church which must now rise up and in the spirit of the disciples of the first century go out and turn this old world upside down because we have a living Christ who alone has unlocked the tomb, who alone has taken away the mystery and the darkness of death and who alone has opened unto us the great vistas of glory and we can catch a glimpse by faith of the great highlands of Canaan. That's our land of promise and we're going to it because of Jesus Christ. But as I see this emphasis upon the church and I see this emphasis upon the brethren, and our Lord Jesus Christ says, Oh, Jacob, praise him. Oh, Israel, come and praise him. All ye that hear him, come and praise him. And then the Lord Jesus Christ says, He hath not despised the afflictions of the afflicted. The Almighty God looked down upon that cross. And when he saw the Lamb hanging there on that cross, fulfilling the demands of his law, paying the penalty for our iniquity, he did not despise him. He accepted him. The world despised him. The world spit upon him. But the Father in the heavens was pleased to bruise him. He put him there that you and I might have a complete deliverance and a glorious justification by grace and by faith and that we might forever be freed from our sins and the consequences of our sins and that we might become a people of praise and a people of glory. Yes, our Savior first had to explain to his disciples what had happened. And then he had to go into the midst of the brethren. And as he goes into the midst of the church, he says, I will praise thee in the midst of the congregation. Beloved, the church alone 
admires him and honors him. The world blaspheming. The world rejects him. It's only in the church where the blood has cleansed. It's only in the church where the redeemed have the Spirit of God. It's only in the church that we can turn and bring this praise and adoration to our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. And then our Savior says, I will pay my vows in the midst of the congregation. As I've thought about that, the Lord wants you to build His church. The Lord wants you to honor His name in the midst of the congregation. It is the Lord's desire that the church be the place where God's people will assemble together and here they'll come paying their vows and bringing their gifts and offering their sacrifices and making known their desires to praise the living God. And may I say to every one of you people listening to me, wherever you are today, you should be a member of the church of Jesus Christ and you should be a member of a church where Jesus Christ's name is honored and where his truth is preserved. You have that duty and that responsibility. I'll pay my vows in the midst of the great congregation. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But may I move on to show you that what our Savior is saying here is that his church is the bride, the church universal, the church that involves the great company that are in heaven and the church here on the earth. And beloved, we have come to Mount Zion. We have come to that holy city. We have come to that new Jerusalem. We have come to the general assembly of the first begotten from the dead. And we belong to an innumerable company of every age and of every generation and of every section of this earth where the Spirit of God has taken the gospel and in God's eternal purpose souls have been born into that kingdom and we are citizens of an everlasting kingdom. And beloved, your conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior. And the only purpose you have in living down here is to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ, worship Him, and pay your vows. The only purpose we have in carrying on after we've heard the message of resurrection after we believe this glorious gospel of everlasting salvation, the only purpose you have left is just to glorify God. Glorify God. You men who are farmers, plow your ground for the glory of God. You people who are school teachers, you teach for the glory of God. You men who work in industry, you do it for the glory of God. You men who are connected with unions, you do it for the glory of God. Those of you who are doctors, you handle the human body for the glory of God. 
those of you who are lawyers and frequent the court chambers of our republic, you be there for the glory of God. Whatever area, whatever sphere, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you must do it for the glory of God because Jesus Christ has brought you into his church and into his kingdom. In the midst of the great congregation, I will praise thee. Now this is where this beautiful text that I've taken this morning comes in with such a beautiful emphasis. I know that you people know that your pastor's favorite text through the years, it always has been. Therefore, my beloved, be ye steadfast. I like to be called beloved by somebody. At least the Lord will do it. Be ye steadfast, unmovable. And how steadfast we've sought to be in standing by this scripture. How we've been unmovable in our obedience to his blessed commandments. But then you have those little words, and this is what I want to open for you. Always abounding. Always. All the time. Every day. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And to abound, the little Greek word says to be over and above measure. And it was very interesting to note that this word abounding, abounding, abounding speaks about the grace of God abounding in you. God will give you more grace and more grace and more grace. He'll abound unto you in your life. He'll do that for you. And then when you turn to these great sections that I've been expounding to you on giving in 2 Corinthians, see that ye abound in this grace also, and we've been abounding, yes, we've been abounding as a church. But the apostle is saying here at the close of the great emphasis of resurrection and we're raptured into the clouds and that day's just before us. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. In anticipation of that, you are to abound. And beloved, you can't do too much for Jesus Christ. It's impossible. Can't do too much for him. Everything that you can do, you should do in his name and for his glory and to the end that his testimony will be maintained on the face of this earth. We're strangers down here. We're pilgrims. We don't belong down here. Frankly, I don't get any enjoyment out of this whole world about us. It's got nothing but filth and sin and wrecks and miseries and hatreds and wars. This whole world is a grand mess today because of the sin that's in the heart of man. And the only message that can touch the heart of man is the message of the risen Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I'm here as a stranger. I'm here as an ambassador. I'm here as a preacher. I'm here to take a ministry and to stand in the church and to tell you people that as members of the church of Jesus Christ, you have the highest calling of God. He separated you from these things. He's called you out of darkness. He has brought you into the glorious light and into the liberty that belongs to the children of God. We are a peculiar people. We are a chosen nation. We do belong to the seed of Israel. And we are indeed the people of God.
Well, I know how some of these preachers feel on Easter Sunday morning. Many of the churches don't have anybody in them during the year except on Easter. Thank the Lord, we're not quite that bad. We do have people here on Sundays, and you do come. And on Easter, we have a few more. But it's when the preacher has everybody together that the preacher ought to tell you what you need to hear. It's when the preacher has all of you in before him that he ought to just open up and begin to tell you people of some of the things and some of the responsibilities that are ours. And do you know what it is that keeps you from church? Do you know what it is that keeps you away from the things of God? I don't have to tell you. Many of you have been hurt by some little something that may have happened. Somebody said something. And you just don't want to go anymore. Maybe the preacher did something that you didn't like. Or, and he can certainly do that. There's no problem there. Uh, maybe some little thing came up and said, well, I'm not going to go. Beloved, that is the ministry of the devil as he accompanies the preaching of the word of God. That's what it is. And we're not going to see churches built. And we're not going to see the work of the Lord advanced in our community unless you get over that sort of bitterness and ask God to give you grace to come back into the house of God to sit down with the Lord's people and in meekness and in humility begin to do what you can to help build the church of Jesus Christ. There's no excuse for a church like ours that stands on the word of God, that has the preaching of the scripture presented to you, dear saints. There's no excuse for our not building and advancing and going ahead with the great banners of the cross before us. We're not in apostasy. We've come out of it. We don't have the curse of God resting upon us because we honor unbelief in our pulpits. We have paid a price to be a free people. And now we must go ahead and the members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should sanctify themselves and should be willing to confess their sins and ask God to forgive them and come back again into the house of God and there carry on the ministry and the work of God. We must build the church. We are the brethren. It's in our midst that he comes to pay his vows. One of the members of this church last Sunday brought me the statistics from the Philadelphia Presbytery of the United Presbyterian Church. And I knew it was going on, but I didn't know it was that bad. But the Presbytery had just given their statistical report and Somehow or other, this person who's a member of my church got a hold of it, and they brought it to me, and I put it in the Christian Beacon this week. 1930, there were 71,000 children in the Sunday school of Philadelphia Presbytery. 1967, there's only 48,000 in the fraction. Down, 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 and the whole thing is going down. And they're wondering why. I can tell them why. 1930, 1929, 1929 was the year they reorganized Princeton. The last citadel of orthodoxy in the great church fell. And then just looks what happened. This week there was a big story in the New York Times reporting that the Methodist church can't understand why their statistics are going down. I can tell them. I can explain to them. Oh, 
beloved, the church of Jesus Christ can't join itself with unbelief and progress and have the blessing of God. And the church of Jesus Christ can't marry herself to the world and call herself the bride of Christ. We are a separate people. We are a peculiar people. We are a people who've been called apart to do a work for Jesus Christ. And then how he does bless. My, how God is blessing us, but how much more he would bless us. If every Sunday morning we had the same congregation that the pastor has this morning. And if every one of us, some of us come great distances and you make great sacrifices. But if all the rest of you people are just drifting, 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 get in the church. Put your membership in a church. Let it count in the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then order your life in your affairs so that the things of Christ will be first. And drive a hundred miles if you have to. The pilgrims crossed an ocean of 3,000 miles to get over here so they could worship. Let us do anything and everything that is necessary to preserve the church of Jesus Christ in her beauty and in her faithfulness to the commission which the Lord laid upon her. My, the Lord is doing some wonderful things for We're going to start a Christian high school. Did you know it? A Christian high school. I, I know that it's got some of the educators in the states disturbed. They're afraid that Dr. McIntyre will affect the public schools. I'm amazed at the, the, the credit they seem to be giving us. Let's not disturb them. Let them have their illusions. Let's go ahead and fulfill our dreams. Let's build a Christian high school in this county. Let's bring the children out of these schools. And if you could just know the stories that your pastor knows of these illegitimate babies. If you could just know what your pastor knows about what's been going on in the morals and the breakdown. You can't even quote the Ten Commandments anymore in the public schools. If you do, you're, you're in trouble. And I had a questionnaire this week from the superintendent of some public schools. Dr. McIntyre, would you answer these questions? And is it possible to have morals without belief in a supreme being? I wrote back and said, no. There is no morality if you do not have God. God is the basis of all morality. He is the one who's given us the law, which makes the standard of righteousness. You can't do it. And we are facing an hour and a crisis in the life of our nation, in the life of our church, that the church has the answer to it. We have the answer. God, the Bible, the commandments, the gospel, salvation. The church, militant. The church, pure. That's the answer. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, he said, I want to talk to my brethren. They're the ones I'm going to deal with first. I want to get into the midst of the great congregation. And I want to bring these people around me. It's in the midst we're going to gather around him. And every time you come to this church, you gather around Jesus Christ. He's here. He meets with us. And we're exalting only his name. And we're preaching only his glory. And we're telling sinners that they can be saved. Oh, this is an hour of tremendous crisis in the life of the nation, in the life of the church.
Your pastor has written this book called The Death of a Church, and it's we're going to circulate it now by the thousands, and I'm going to begin preaching on it every Sunday night, beginning next Sunday night. I'm going to give you eight sermons on the death of the church. And I want you to learn about the church, the bride, the one the Lord talked about, the first thing he had to say after he came out of the tomb. Let's deal with the church. And I'll give you these great messages on this new confession. Let's be instructed. Let's be informed. And let's help preserve a movement here that'll have a Christian high school. That'll have a Christian college like Shelton College. That'll be a part of a great separatist movement of our day that's built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come out of the clouds. Come out of the darkness. Come out of the apostasy. Come out of the confusion. Beloved, this is the message that you need to hear on Easter Sunday. It is the church of Jesus Christ and you should be a part of it and you should help preserve it and carry its message to the little ones and to the children and to everyone on every hand and then pray that God will bring out of this church a great company of young people who will be the preachers of the day who will be the messengers of the cross in the generation that follows you and me and they will come out of the church I have written another book and I thought maybe I'd close the sermon by reading you the first two chapters of the first two paragraphs of the preface of this book called Outside the Gate I have some 20 odd chapters and I hope to have it out for you people at least by the last of May or the first of June, so far as the printing is concerned. But it deals with this great matter. Quote, I am outside the ecumenical movement. I left it on the 15th of June, 1936. I consider what is presently called the renewal of the church and the massive effort to unite all churches, Protestant, Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, into one great worldwide organization, nothing short of horrifying. The power that such an organization will have in the affairs of men and nations is beyond human calculation. I consider it a Christian duty and the duty of the church to warn the Lord's people against this rising monster and to call them to separation from it in accordance with the commandments of the Holy Scriptures. What is presently developing could very easily be the Church of the Antichrist, Babylon the Great, the Scarlet Woman, the Harlot Church, clearly described in Revelation 17 and 18. My own ministry is committed fully to the separatist or the 20th century Reformation movement of our day. All of this is related directly to the International Council of Christian Churches on the world level, of which I serve as president and have since 1948, and the American Council of Christian Churches here in the United States of America. This entire movement is challenging the ecumenical apostasy and all that it represents in its many ramifications as it seeks to build a world church and to assist in the development of some sort of world government in the political sphere. I believe that we must have upon this earth Christian churches 
faithful to the Bible, loyal to the church's only head and king, preaching the whole counsel of God, and standing for the righteousness of God in all relationships and activities which Christians have, there is a sense in which the whole movement, which is called separatist movement, is outside the gate. My church, the congregation, I'll pay my vows. Jesus led the church in the payment of those vows. And let's be faithful today. Oh, beloved, may this Easter sermon stir your heart. May it move your heart and may you say, Lord, I'm going to break my old habits. I'm going to change my old ways. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to take my talents. I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to use them for the furtherance of the gospel and for the building of the church as I've never done before. That's the call of Christ to you and me. And remember when he rose from the dead on the resurrection day, he went and declared to his disciples what it meant. And then when they understood, they went to Jerusalem and they went first into the temple. And then they went out and turned the whole world upside down. Because they had a Redeemer and a Savior. And that Savior may be yours, my friend, if you'll just trust Him. Amen. Now let us stand, please, and the choirs will sing for us the Hallelujah Chorus.
Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be glory and honor and dominion and power, world without end. Amen.